morning. Thank you. It's good to be home. Um, it's my first time to the Wilds camp there in North Carolina, and I was uh, very impressed at their commitment to the scriptures and their commitment to genuine change. Um, you know, a lot of times with camps, you have a big focus on decision decisions. We can call it decisionalism. You know, we just want to get you in a place where you're um, all your emotions are pushing you to make a decision, and what tends to happen is they don't stick. Uh, they're not genuine. They tend to be a little bit coming from a wrong peer pressure, and um, or maybe you could say a right peer pressure. But but the point is they they're not long lasting, and uh, so this was really great to see a camp like this is committed to long term uh, genuine change. But I can say that as impressed I was as I was with the camp, um, it doesn't replace the local church. It doesn't compete with the local church. And what I loved about the camp, too, is that they constantly were putting people back to the church. They recognized that their job was not just to you know, like drum up a lot of uh, enthusiasm about God, but to get these people, these kids, back to to their local churches and committed to them. And so I'm so thankful to be back here. Love our church. Love to be a part of this place and a, and a part of you people. And um, glad to uh, to be back. But it, it is good and refreshing to hear some, some live preaching that I don't get to do very much. So I got to do a lot of that this week. Will Galkin was a speaker and just did a really good job of... Um, uh, be a balanced approach to the scriptures and um, uh, an emphasis on on genuine change. So thankful for that. Thank you for praying for us. We had an uneventful trip on the way back, and uh, so we got enough rest. I think Jonathan and Julia would probably love to tell you some things about what they did. So if you want to talk to them, I'm sure they they have a couple stories for you. Turn to Ephesians chapter four this morning. Ephesians chapter four. We're going to look at two passages this morning, and then I want to I want to uh, use an example of a potential counseling issue that might come up in your conversations with other believers, and how we can deal with that. Uh, sometimes, what happens with with struggles that we are going through is that they are very complex, and it's difficult to know how to get to the root, the core of the problem, how to sort out everything. And that's what we want to try to do today through an example. But let me show you Ephesians chapter 4, probably a familiar passage, but it's helpful for us to be reminded uh, where we're, we are going. So before I read this passage, let's pray and ask God for His help. Lord, thank You for this past week and the opportunity that we have at this church to show love to one another Thank you for uh, this body of believers who are committed to your truth and who are committed to these people. And we pray that uh, you would just display your mercy through us as we uh, show love to one another. And we do it by praying for one another and encouraging one another and, and being here and, and, um, and just growing personally, uh, growing spiritually. Help us to to understand more clearly how we can help others in our personal ministry to them, being ambassadors of Christ, being able to speak your word to them. 
Help us to know how to do that and to be bold in doing so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, Paul writes in verse 11, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So what we know about this passage is that Paul is talking about what it takes to build up the body of Christ. And now we see that our people that are that God has gifted the church with people who are equipped, who are able to equip the saints. So this passage is about building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we have a goal. We're, we're um, building up one another in the body of Christ, and our goal is so that we all attain to the unity of faith. To the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So how do we see the growth of the body as it's building itself up in love? It is as each individual, as each joint supplies. And the way that that happens is, verse 15, as we speak the truth to one another in love. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. So that's really what this what this class is about, this 13-week study on biblical counseling is about. If our church is going to grow spiritually, we need people who are in need of change that are helping other people who are in need of change. In the first four classes, we laid the foundation for biblical counseling by seeing that the goal of counseling is a changed what? Changed heart, right? It's not enough for for us to just see them change their behavior. It's not enough when we're working with ourselves for us to just change our externals, right? We want to see a changed heart. And the way that we see a changed heart is as we speak the truth to one another in love. And that component of love is important. We took two weeks to look at that. Uh, Without love, our proper understanding of the Bible will be like a boat with no oars. Jesus demonstrated for us genuine love by coming to this earth to die for us so he gave us the example and this is the kind of love that is critical for us to minister to other people because as paul says if we don't do it with love we are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal so matthew 22 verse would someone read verses 37 to 40 So, in our personal ministry to one another, we need to keep in mind both of these commandments, these two foremost commandments. That is, to love God, okay, by, we, we do this by representing Him in the way that we talk 
about life. So whatever issue it is at stake, we, we want to speak to that issue, how God, uh, the way that God sees that issue. And we also want to show love to the person. So we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor. And, and we love them most by pointing them to the truth. And we do it in a way that's compassionate, like Jesus was compassionate. So last week we talked about seeking to understand the person who needs counsel. If we make assumptions, then we will come to wrong conclusions. There's a possibility that we could we could um, make an assumption and come to the right conclusion, but more often than not, we're going to come to the wrong conclusion and potentially we'll fail to help the person because we've come to this conclusion that that's not actually what's happening, but we've come to this conclusion. We're trying to help according to this problem, and the person's like, well, you know, they may even take the advice, but it's not actually going to help them because that's not really the problem. So we need to ask them, as we saw last week, to define the terms. We need to ask a combination. Remember, we need to walk through the hallways, open up the doors, see what's in them, look at the patterns. Those are the survey questions. Some of the doors in the room, the rooms of their life, we need to open up and, and get into all the way and start digging in a little bit more closely, do more investigative work. That would be the focused questions. We also need to ask open-ended questions. If we want to get away from assumptions, we don't ask... Our, we, it's not that we don't ask. It's that most of our questions are going to be open-ended. That is, we, they can't be answered with a yes or a no. Okay? Did did you sin against God? Did you do this? Were you thinking this when you were doing this? Instead, um, ask questions like uh, use use your six friends to to find so that you know uh, all that you can about the situation. What, when, where, why, how, and who. And before we make an evaluation and run their situation through the grid of God's Word, we must first understand the situation. So we try to know as much of the situation as we can. But, as I mentioned earlier, there will come times when there will be a situation where someone comes to you for help and their, their uh, conflict that they're struggling with is such a mess it's so interwoven with so much with, with trouble that it's difficult to make sense of all the information and to determine the best course of action. And they're not going to come to you and say, here's my problem, can you help me with it? Instead, it's going to be story, story, here's what I, I'm really struggling with, you know, this is what this person thinks. You're going to have all this information and it's like, and now you've got to take all that and try to make sense of it in order to help them. And sometimes when you get a, a whole uh, boatload of information, you are just left speechless. Someone approaches you in the hallway with a shocking revelation about you know, how they handle anger or something that they've been hiding from their spouse. And you're staring at the person thinking, God, please help me. I don't know what to say to them. And maybe all you can come up with is, I don't know what to tell you, but I will pray for you. And you know, that that is okay. That is okay. Because biblical counseling, speaking God's truth to someone, doesn't have to be spontaneous. We think that if we're going to be able to help someone, we need to be witty. We need to have the, the right elixir right at the time that they ask. But even in the, even in the times that I have gone to people for counsel they don't tend to have the answers the first time. And that's okay. 
Okay, so if you get approached in the hallway or they call you on the phone or send you this long email, and it's like, how do I respond to this person? You don't, don't worry about having the right answer at the time. Do speak truth to them. Tell them that you will pray for them. Tell them that God cares for them. Tell them that God will not leave them. There are very few people who know exactly what to say in those kinds of situations. So, don't worry about stepping back, giving some thought to what they have, they have said. This is the first time you've heard about it. They've been thinking about it for weeks, right? They come to you. They tell you all of what's going on. And you're like, okay, let, let me just take some time to evaluate and then come back and learn more. And that's, that, that is completely appropriate. Work to understand the situation if you want to be an ambassador for Christ. Today we want to see that personal ministry, biblical counseling, is about gathering the necessary information and making biblical sense of it. Okay, so we want to gather the information, that's what we talked a lot about last week, and then make biblical sense of it. It doesn't help if we just have information. Again, I talk about psychology is helpful in that way. They're very good at gathering information. But the difference between us and a psychologist or a psychiatrist is that we want to be able to make biblical sense of it, help them to see things from God's perspective. But before we can make biblical sense of the information, we need to make sense of the data that we have. So so first, making sense of the data. I've mentioned before that everyone is a theologian. Everyone interprets their lives based on what they think about God, what they think about themselves, what they think about sin. Everybody makes interpretations and they do it automatically. They take what's going on in their lives, the realities of their lives, and they interpret them according to what they know. So as an ambassador of Christ, our job is to help them interpret their life circumstances from a biblical perspective. In other words, we want to help them take the realities and recognize that what they're doing is interpreting their circumstances wrongly. Now, they may be interpreting them rightly. In that case, we need to commend them. But, but if they're interpreting them wrongly, handling the situation wrongly, we need to help them see it from a biblical perspective. So that means that we need to take the same facts. So if we look at it from, okay, from an example, if we have this is the conflict right here that they're struggling with. They're looking at it from this perspective, but it's not a biblical perspective. We want them to come around to the other side and see it from a biblical perspective. In order to do that, we need to understand what this is, what this conflict is, and we need to understand what the Bible says. We can't just automatically say, well, we have the biblical perspective on everything, right? We need to be humble and recognize that we need to understand the situation and understand what God says about it. So if we're going to minister to people Biblically, we have to minister to them from the Bible's perspective. And the Bible's perspective is whose perspective? It's God's perspective, right? And when we do that, then, then we are concerned about, they may have all these things that they're concerned about. I'm, I'm afraid of this. I'm fearful of this. I, I don't want this to happen. But we want to show them that from God's perspective, the most important thing is God's glory, that that God is, is working to change you, right? We, we need to keep in, the, in mind the proneness that they have towards sin, the reality of the devil, the grace of the gospel, the certainty of eternity. Maybe they're just simply not thinking in terms of eternity. 
they're thinking short-sightedly. So let me give you a little hint about ministering to others. Okay, When it comes to the problem that you're going to be helping them with, most of the time, if not all the time, you are not actually fixing the problem. That problem is still going to be there. What you're doing is you are moving them from a worldly, wrong, sinful perspective over to a godly perspective. You're bringing them around to the other side and saying, this is how you ought to be looking at your problem. Look at this in view of eternity. Look at this in view of what Christ did for you. That's what biblical counseling is. It's helping them to see it from the proper perspective. It's not saying, oh, man, this big thing, let's start untangling this and start fixing the problem. It's about giving them a proper perspective because, frankly, some of these problems... um, some of these problems will continue. If it's a problem of, let's just say, something like a, a terminal illness. This terminal illness is here. You're not actually going to fix that problem. Instead, you're going to say, listen, you're dealing with this from a temporal perspective. You're thinking about this in light of this earth and what this earth has to offer. And the fact that you can't you know, fill up everything on your bucket list. Or check everything off of your bucket list. Instead, recognize that, you know what? You don't live for this life. You bring them over here to the other perspective. Okay, so that's one thing. Obviously, there are some sin issues that you want to help resolve, but many times it is bringing them to the other side, helping them to see it from a biblical perspective. And if you don't help people to see their story from a distinctly Christ-centered perspective, your ministry will do nothing but load them up with theological principles that will largely leave them unaffected. They may change their behavior for a time because they're looking for a way out. They want to stop the consequences. But if you want to see real heart change, help them to see things from the Bible's perspective. Convince them that from the Scripture, by the power of the Spirit, that God owns their hearts and demands exclusive rights to them. All right, so making sense of the data. It's trying to understand the situation and then helping them to see what what God's perspective of their situation might be. Any questions? Uh, how about how about a blank? Interpret their situation from a biblical perspective or from God's perspective. Any questions? Comments? Okay, so if we have this tangled mess, this difficult situation that we've been presented with, how do we make sense of it? And what Tripp argues for offers in his book that I think is very helpful is to organize the information biblically. So how do we help them change their perspective? How do we get them from over here to over here? How do we organize what we can't even fully see? It's just it's kind of foggy right now. Getting to know a person and their situation in order to minister to them is like going around a house and collecting laundry. Okay, so we go to all these different rooms, we collect all this laundry, and now we just have a big, diverse pile of, of a multicolored uh, set of clothes. But they need to be sorted out, or else if we try to clean them up all together, what's going to happen? It's going to turn out pretty funny colored, right? We're going to have some weird-looking so- socks. But, but when you minister to other people you have to recognize that that's often what it's like. You're going to be gathering information from all over the house, all over their their life, 
And they're not going to say, okay, I've said all that, but listen to this point because this is really important. This is really at the heart of the problem. Here is what is critical for you to know so that you can know how to minister to me. I'm about to reveal the motives of my heart. It doesn't happen that way. Instead, we get a mixed bag or a mixed basket of information that we have to sort through. We have to start putting them on hooks, as as uh, Tripp would suggest in his book. Okay, so the first step is try to organize the information into simple categories so that we can understand them from a biblical perspective. And if if you think about it like a project at your home, and you know, sometimes you have these huge projects, how am I ever going to get this done? And what you do is you break it down into smaller chunks. You say, okay, here's the three, four main things I need to do for this project. Let's start working on this one. Start tackling that one. Okay, and amazingly, it starts to get done, and then you move to the next one. And that's what we want to do with, with understanding people as well. well what, what does the Bible say about each of these four hooks that we're going to hang all of our information on? What, what does the Bible say about each one? So, so let's try to do that here. Or let me just show you how that works, and then we'll try to use an example that would help us to see how it would work. Okay, number one, the situation. You want to understand the situation. What exactly is going on? This is probably the easiest one to to discover. This is just facts. You're trying to understand the situation. You're not digging down into the recesses of their heart and and pulling out all and extracting all the the deepest uh, you know past and trouble. But but you're just basic information. Okay, if you were writing a biography without making an evaluation, just basic facts. It, it includes facts from both past and present. So maybe, you know, Fred comes to you and his sister died last month and his wife lost her job. Okay, so those are two things. We just ask the question, what is going on? And that will help us to answer that. So now we're starting to pull this laundry apart, start hanging on hooks. Second, the responses. How does the person respond to what is going on? So, his sister died, and his wife lost her job. How does Fred respond to those two situations? You know, uh, maybe he tried to kill himself, ended up in the hospital. And that's just a response that you would, you know, you could even write these things down. It would be helpful just to, to say, okay, what is going on? Because this is, this is so complex. I don't know how to get this web untangled. Thirdly, the thoughts. What does the person think about what is going on? How has he been interpreting his world? So if, if this is what the, the conflict that he's struggling with, how is he interpreting it? What, what are his thoughts? Okay, we haven't gotten to the biblical thoughts yet because we want to see what the, the problem is. Maybe we know uh, very little about Fred's thoughts about it, but we know that he's frustrated and confused and we know that he can't bear it any longer because he's tried to kill himself. Okay? And then fourthly, anyone know what the last one is? If, you're, if you look on the next page, I gave you some hints. Motives. Boom. That's part of the fun of the blanks, right? He's trying to guess. What does the person want out of what is going on? Okay, what are their desires, their goals, their treasures, their values? What What kind of idols do they have in their life based on what's going on? Okay, maybe 
you determined from talking to Fred that his desire was to live a long life of relative ease, and now he's been faced with the reality that life is not easy, and that even the life of a Christian is not easy. His sister dies, and his wife loses his job, her, loses her job. So, um, so maybe his desire is is wrongly. Um, is, is wrongly placed. So if you know a lot about... Um, so he, this will help you. Okay, So you're going around the house, you're picking up the laundry, but you realize you're missing a few. right? You, you, you have only a, a few whites, and you know you have more whites than that. So then you start asking questions. Sorry about that. Your, your glasses are not, or your eyes are not in need. There, sorry about that. Um, so, so if you're missing some of these... Maybe you know the situation, maybe you know some of his motives, but you're missing a couple of these. So now you know what kind of questions you can ask him. Okay, or maybe there are some gaps in the situation you don't understand. You know, he's got he has these thoughts about life, so maybe I don't understand everything about what's going on. Let me ask some more questions about what's going on. All right, let's try to use an example that would um, incorporate these four Okay, these four things. So listen carefully as I uh, read through this example that Tripp gives in his book. and um, Just a made-up example as far as I know. But we want to try to use it to, uh, to try to take what is a difficult situation and try to categorize it. So I'm going to be asking you questions, so, so pay attention. All right? Sharon approaches me after the service. And she tells me that her marriage is a disaster and that she needs to talk immediately. So we set up a time and I ask that her husband, Ed, join her so that we can talk together. But she comes to the meeting alone and she tells her story emotionally and in great detail. She says that Ed was unwilling to come and that he told her that she needed to get her act together or else he was gone. He was out of there. Sharon tells me of a violent relationship that had gotten worse over time. She and Ed were now living in separate bedrooms. They were eating separately. They had separate bank accounts. Find out that before their marriage, they had communication problems. Ed felt like Sharon was taking control of him. Sharon felt like Ed never paid attention to her unless she made it really clear. Yet at the beginning, Ed said that she was the most beautiful woman in the world. And Sharon believed that Ed was the best thing that had ever happened to her. Ed was a rising superstar at his job. And his job was doing really well. He was, he was um, climbing the corporate ladder. Sharon was not shy about being around people that mattered. She loved being around people that were important. She grew up in foster homes and never met her natural parents. Ed was raised in a stable working class urban neighborhood. He claimed that Sharon was slowly destroying his manhood. Sharon confessed two affairs during her marriage. Ed, of course, was very angry all the time and and she appeared to be the same. Sharon made her agenda very clear when she talked with me. I am not here to work on me. I am okay. I am here because my marriage is in trouble. Can you get 
my husband, to come and talk to you. He's the one who needs help. Okay? So what you notice is that all that information is kind of jumbled together. And that's often how it comes out. Okay? There's just so many things that are going on and so much history that a person has. And when they tell it to you, they, they try to hit the highlights, but they don't do it in any organized fashion, do they? And so what we need to do now is go through these four hooks, try to organize it so now we can start thinking about her situation biblically so that we can help her and potentially Ed with, with what's going on. Okay, so first, this is the easiest part, the situation. When we think about the situation, we want to think about it in terms of her past and her present. Okay, so just basic facts. What is going on? So let's think about her past, like her family origin. What do we know of her family origin? Any crisis events that have taken place, maybe significant relationships, experiences. With regard to her presence, what kind of things are happening today? What kind of significant relationships does she have now? What's going on with her family? Um, how does she describe her trouble? Okay, so help me out. What, what would we say? Some basic things. Just quickly rattle them off for me. What's that? Foster child. Okay, so we know something about her past. What else? Okay, that's that's probably getting more to the, the thoughts or the motives. We're trying to stick to facts right now. Okay, we have a couple of affairs that have taken place. Okay, there's a violent relationship there. Both of them are angry. Okay. Right, you have the separate bank accounts, the separate rooms. Um, and, um, okay, what do we know about Ed from what she says? He's a bum? Oh, okay. What was that? Okay. Okay, he's angry. He's very successful at work. He finds satisfaction in that apparently. Okay, he had a stable upbringing apparently and... And obviously, he thinks she needs to sort things out. Okay, so there's there's just some basic things. Obviously, we could say a lot more about the situation, but now we know some facts. What exactly is going on? All right, so the next hook is the responses. How does Sharon specifically respond to what is going on? So this is where we are looking for themes or patterns that aren't just present in her marriage. Remember the hallway example from last week where their lives are a lot like compartmentalized doors and we open up one of the doors and we want to see, oh, there's a desk in there. Open the next door. Wow, there's a desk in there. There's a desk in there. Something, there's something about a desk in her life. Okay, so for her it might be, you know, you know, how, do, how does she respond to this situation? So what would you say are some of the themes or patterns that we might say or, or maybe even more, if we, we pull back here and think about a little bit easier terms, uh, how has she responded to what's going on? So the, the situation is troubled marriage, right? How has she responded? Infidelity is one. Okay, vengeance. Okay, yeah, so she's she's passing the blame, you know. What was that? Blame shifting, right. Apparently she's still going to church, right? 
I, I probably didn't uh, make that very explicit, but she meets me after church. Um, she's she's what else? In what way? Okay, so she she's looking for people who will make her feel important, right? Um, she's the one who's asking for help. I mean, she's asking for him, but she is asking for help. He doesn't seem to. To, to be bothered by it. Okay, so maybe maybe the eating separately was her response. Maybe it was a mutual thing. The getting separate bank accounts and sleeping uh, separately are various responses that they have made to what is going on. There is this trouble. Greg? Uh, they are apparently saved. Yeah. I mean, she's she's coming to church. He's got... I would say that he probably made a profession of faith, but his life obviously is not very uh, a bright light for the gospel. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I got the same amount of information you do. So see, these are some questions you need to go back and ask next time you see her. Yeah. Okay, and that'll tie in too with the thoughts that we're going to get to next. Okay, so now let's think about what does Sharon think about what's going on? What does the person think? I mean, how does she make sense? So again, here's here's the struggle right here that she she wants to 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 desperately get corrected. What does she think about that? As she views this, what is her view of the situation? So what are the thoughts? How does how does she think about what's going on? Is she interpreting her world? Properly or improperly, is there something that she's missing that would lead her to genuine change? So now let's think about the, the thoughts. What, what was yours again? Okay. Okay, so she's... She doesn't see that she has a problem, Okay, which it's tough to change, or should I say impossible to change if we don't see that we have a problem. Greg? Yeah. Yeah, so there's some things that are kind of ongoing. How do, how does she think about her situation? How does she think about Ed? Okay? Okay. Yeah, and at one time, how did she see him? The best thing that had ever happened to me. Obviously, she doesn't see it that way anymore. Um, what does she think about herself? Okay, remember, it's, I'm okay. This is not about me. This is about Ed. Yeah, so she's the victim. Somebody else needs to change. And um, a lot of times that's the way we look at relationships when we're struggling with a, a a conflict in relationship, it is if that person would just change, this would be all resolved. And it seems to be highlighted more in marriage relationships. Uh, we get blinded to our own sin. And so she's likely the same same way. 
Yeah. Right. All right, we need to keep moving because uh, I, I need to wrap this up, and we need to find how this all pulls together. Okay, number four, her motives. This is the hardest part. Remember I said last week, trying to understand their heart when they don't understand their heart, right? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Word actually is the one who reveals the heart. That's the very next verse, Jeremiah 17:10. So what, that's what we want to try to expose. We want to try to expose their heart. But what are her desires, her motives? What, what do we know about her desires? Okay, without digging in more deeply than we know about her, based on what we've heard, what do we know about her desires, her goals, her... Okay? So she wants a good marriage. She wants it fixed okay, by whoever she's coming to. Remember, she can come to any of you. Not She doesn't have to come to, to the pastor. Right, so she wants to come through unscathed and not having to change anything. Just, you know, fix Ed and, and we'll be all set. So we start to see a little bit about her, her heart. Now, what, what you need to recognize now is that we have now been able to see a little bit more carefully what the situation is from her perspective and how she thinks about it. So far, we haven't gotten over to here. That's what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. Okay, remember, it's love, know, speak, and do. So the speak part is actually taking the Scripture and telling her, um, speaking the truth to her. But now what we've done is we've taken this thing that's all tangled up and we've started to we've we've started to to take parts of it right. Let's think about it in terms of the pile laundry. I'm mixing up metaphors here, but if you have the big, the the pile laundry, we're starting to put things on hooks. Now we start to see, okay, step back. That's what's going on. That's how she's responded to it. Here's what she thinks about it. Here's her goals and her desires. And now let's take each one of those and look at them from a biblical perspective. What does God say about troubled marriages and when? Spouses don't respond. What does God say about, you know, uh, separate bank accounts and separate beds and and that, that sort of thing? What does God say about uh, how she's responded to the situation that she hasn't taken any blame upon herself and so on? Yeah, I'm sure that that plays into it. And I think that would be something that we need to. You know, ask more questions. These are some of the missing pieces. But now we have more of the puzzle than we had before um, when she just walked up and said, my marriage is in trouble. Okay. So let me uh, conclude by just saying a few things. And I, I hate to leave this kind of unresolved, like what's going to happen to Sharon. But okay, Sharon's pretend. Okay, so she's fine. Um, she, she responded well to whatever you had to say to her. How do emotions play into this? If you notice... One of the four hooks is not emotions. So how do emotions factor in to, to, um, to what's going on, to how you're helping someone? What we need to recognize is the Bible does not ignore the reality of human emotion. What kind of emotions do we see in the Scripture um, based on things that take place, like peace and war and friendship and rejection and drought and poverty and sickness and death? How do people respond to those? What kind of emotions do we see? Okay, we see anger, fear, sadness. Okay, hope, good. Okay, there are just a varied amount of emotions that that um, that come out in Scripture. So we can't ignore them. And 
frankly, becoming a Christian Christian does not eliminate emotions, right? We don't turn into Autobots of some kind. Oh, that person died. That was what God wanted, right? Oh, I lost the job or missed that promotion. God is good. No, no. Following God experiences uh, means experiencing agony and pain and uneasiness, just like Job and Paul and Jesus and the psalmist, the psalmists, right? They're they're constantly showing their emotion in in life. And so part of who we are is our emotions. So when you talk to people, expect that, especially when they're in a troubled situation, that you're going to see and you're going to to experience their deep emotions. So don't ignore them, um, but recognize that they help reveal what's in a person's heart. They ultimately do not determine what's in a person's heart. Okay, Emotions are often just indicators of what's in the heart. So if a person, you're talking to them and you ask questions, you know, Sharon, why, why do you think that this is only Ed's problem? Have you contributed to this struggle at all? And then all of a sudden she starts to rise in anger. You start to see a little bit more of her emotion or maybe she, she breaks down in tears. Okay, when you see these emotions start to, to flare up, that may be an indicator of something that you want to listen to, that you want to... You um, you want to recognize because those tend to be indicators of what they desire most, right? The things that we get angry about about most, if you just think about the things that you've gotten angry about most, are over the things that you desire most. The things that you've become emotional about, you cried over, is because it's something that you value a lot. So that helps you to see a little bit about who she is. But if we if we base everything like if we take a whole section and say everything's based on her emotions, we're going to miss the point because we need to get to the, the facts of what's going on. We need to get to the, the core, and the emotions often are just pointers rather than uh, at the core of who the person is. Okay, they, they often just reveal what's in the heart. So if you understand the narrative of the Bible and you think carefully about your life as a Christian, you realize that that God is not in a fearful hurry to get you to change. Okay? He's not looking for a microwave type of change. Instead, He works on us slowly and over a long period of time. Right? Like the old song that, that uh, I think we had a record of when I was a kid. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Right? It took Him just a week to make... You know how it goes. And he, instead... Uh, God takes time. And so that means that when we're working with people, don't think, okay, they came to me with this huge problem that's actually been building over a long period of time. I need to give them something right now that will change it forever. And tomorrow, it's going to be all gone. No, it took them a long time to, to lower themselves down into the well of trouble, right? And it's going to take them a long time to climb out but you need to help them. You need to give them hope. Show them the light that's up above. Okay, we're going to get to that. But but recognize that change doesn't happen instantaneously. Like, I'm all right, I'm done. I'm done lusting after the flesh. Someone comes to you with, with some, some problems with lust. Okay, I'm, tomorrow, I'm not going to do that anymore. It doesn't happen that way. You start to show them what they need to value more than, than the uh, pleasures of this world. And all of this is propelled by the two great commandments that we looked at at the beginning, to love God and to love our neighbor. Because I love God, I want to 
speak to them in a way that is consistent with what God's Word says. I want to speak God's truth to them. I don't want to speak my truth to them uh, if it's different. Okay, But because I love the person, so I love God, I want to speak to them properly. Because I love the person, I'm not going to treat them like an object on a conveyor belt. Okay, Sharon comes, oh, that's nice, you got a problem. Okay, I'll deal with you later. You know, Or here's, your, here's what you need. See me in the morning. Okay, but instead, we work to understand them, uh, work to, to help them, and we do it in a helpful and a compassionate way. All right? Any questions? Sandra. Right. And that's where we're going to move towards, yeah, over the next couple of weeks. We talk about speak. We want to understand God's truth. Start thinking through the narrative of the Bible. Okay, where where does Sharon's situation show up in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus? You know, obviously for us it's probably going to be weighted heavily on the New Testament side because. But a lot of times what the Old Testament does for us is it illustrates for us what is going on in our heart by showing us how Israel turned away from God or how. You know, uh, some of the kings, they were lusting after power, and we start to see it illustrated that way. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. Hopefully that becomes more clear over the next couple of weeks. Any other thoughts or questions? Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a good observation. I I, uh, I thought about that myself, how to handle those kinds of situations. Uh, but frankly, sometimes, you know, you just you you can't force the other person to come to a meeting. Now you can say I can't help you. I mean, I th- maybe that's your point. I can't you help you, Sharon, because Ed's not here. So talk to Ed, get him to come. But um, um, you know, I I think that the ideal marriage is when both people are recognizing their own sin and working to correct it, um, confess it, forsake it. Um, but, but, but the second best kind of marriage, if I can say it that way, is when one person is recognizing their own sin and working to correct it and forsake it. And I can't force Ed to acknowledge his sin and turn from it but I have Sharon here in a position where she's willing to accept some counsel. Now, she's looking for counsel for him, which I would not give, by the way. Okay? Because as long as we think the problem's on the other person and it's not on us, now in some cases it clearly is on the other person. Um, but, but when it's clear that she has contributed to the problem, work on her who is willing to change. And... Um, so that's, that's a good question. Good observation. Greg. Yeah. 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 That's a great practical point and uh, one that I hold to as well. I, my pastor uh, told us that you either need to do it in a in a room that has glass in it. See, for him, he's in a bigger church, so they have secretaries and stuff outside so they can 
see what's going on. So that would just be him and the lady that he's counseling. Uh, or he said you could go to a public place, but that might look a little, a little weird. So I wouldn't do that. Uh, so what I've done for all the counseling that I've done for individual ladies is I've asked my wife to come with me, and she um, just sits and listens. Sometimes she contributes to the conversation um, where necessary. But where both will come in, you know, Sharon, Ed, Sharon and Ed are both willing to come in, and I sit down just with them on my own. Um, so, but yeah, I, I totally agree because they're, especially with, you know, a person like that, but any of us are susceptible to the worst kinds of sin. And so, um, so we, we need to guard ourselves and that's a good way to do it. Thank you, Greg. Good. Bill. Yeah, and I definitely think there's some blame to pass his way. But what I'm suggesting is is we can't, I mean, I was thinking pray that God would work on him, but we can't help someone who's not willing to, to talk. So we, so we got Sharon here, and it appears that she's got some things that she needs to work on. Even if he responds wrongly, as, maybe as an unbeliever even, we can help her to see things from a proper biblical perspective and make sure that she is showing love to him despite uh, his actions. Yeah, we mu- <coughs> right. Yeah, that's always a big thing too. To, we we haven't gotten into this, but but it's making sure that the information that you're getting is correct. You know, lot, people are going to put themselves in a better light than they actually are. They don't want to be seen as sinful, so we we do have to verify a lot of times, and and it's always good to get the other person in there, like Bill's suggesting. Like Jennifer's perspective, uh, suggesting, you know, get the other person in there, see it from his perspective. Okay, so what am I missing here? When you get both of those, by the way, you know, if this is the problem here, and they're both looking at it from over here, both unbiblically, that will actually help you see the problem better. They both see it differently from over here, but they actually need to see it from over here. It, it actually helps solidify what it is. All right, so let me let me pray. We need to be dismissed, but thank you for the conversation and your attention. Lord, thank you for your grace, and we know that uh, we need to be humble and recognize our our need to to depend upon you and to to be open about our sin and and to be open to correction. So help us, we pray, in being able to help our own selves and each other. And may we move remove the beam from our own eye before we remove the speck from someone else's. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.